This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. There are two types of people in the world, and because I can, I'm going to assign them sea creatures. So there are dolphins and there are clams. And each of you tonight is either a dolphin or a clam. And I'm sure you didn't know that until you came here tonight, but I'm glad to enlighten you on that. Um, Dolphins love exploration and discovery and change, and clams don't like any of those things. They like things to stay the same. Dolphins say, change is good. Clams say, change is bad. And uh, best I can tell, there are more clams in the world than there are dolphins. So when I tell you that we're changing our Wednesday children's program and starting a new program in two weeks, the question on many of your clam minds is, why? Why would we change? uh, After so many years with one program, why would we change over to something else? And I want to let you know that I have some clam tendencies myself. And so this is not a change that is uh, being done without thought and without consideration. And so tonight, I want to do two things. I want to introduce you to this new Wednesday night children's program. And I want to share a bit of my heart when it comes to this program in general, but our children's ministry, or this program specifically in our children's ministry here at Good News in general. The new program is called Kids for Truth, and it's actually been around for almost 20 years, um, but it is new to us here at Good News. And so I want to explain to you a little bit about the program uh, so you can understand why we're switching. And for those of you who have kids age four up through sixth grade, uh, so you can understand a little bit more about what that's going to mean for you as parents. And I do want to encourage you, parents, to, um, not right now, but later on, head to our website and uh, hit the button there to learn more about Kids for Truth. And that will give you a chance to, you can follow that through to the Kids for Truth website, learn about the program that way. It'll also give you a chance to register your child for Kids for Truth, which is a help to us in being prepared for it. Many things about what we're going to do on Wednesday nights are not going to change. So we'll still meet in the fireplace room at 7 o'clock each Wednesday evening. Uh, Kids will, from there, be dismissed to different classes for different age groups. Uh, There will still be game times and craft times. And every few weeks, we'll still have a store um, where they'll be able to spend the stuff that they've earned and and get some some fun things there. Uh, So many things won't change. We are going to change a little bit with the schedule, just so you parents know. We're going to finish up each Wednesday evening with another assembly in the fireplace room. And uh, part of that is so we can have a very orderly dismissal. Uh, Part of that also is we're going to take some time in that closing uh, assembly each evening to honor those and give some attention to those who are earning awards. And so that'll help the kids... Uh, recognize what their accomplishments and see what the other kids are doing and encourage them all to be working towards that. The thing that's going to be most different about the new program, though, is not really the schedule or how we'll we'll do things each evening. Um, It's going to be 
more about the heart of what we're teaching and how we're teaching it. I'm very grateful for frontline clubs, and I am convinced that it was a blessing and God used it in the hearts of children. Um, I appreciate the ministry that it was to my own son. But there's something unique about Kids for Truth, and I hope I can get that across to you tonight, that I think is going to meet a need in a special way in the lives of young people. There comes a time in everyone's life when they settle on what they believe about the world and why. They come to conclusions about how the world works, what is true about themselves, whether or not there is a God, and if so, what he's like. And the conclusions they come to, um, well, from my, from my own perspective, um, just as I've my, my experience, and as I see others, I haven't done any studies on this or anything, um, that, that process of coming to those decisions about the world tends to happen somewhere within the 15 to 25-year range. Somewhere within those 10 years, for some it's a longer process, for some it's a shorter process. They're asking these big questions. They're coming to these conclusions about the world. There are many factors that play into that. There, it's going to include what someone is taking in, what they're watching, what they're reading, what they're listening to. It's going to include the people that they're spending their time with. All these things are so important. All these things are things that we stress with young people and the importance of those things and how they're going to shape how they look at the world. But one of the factors that really plays into this for someone in that 15 to 25 age group is what that individual was taught in the 10 years before that. So the five years to 15 years, and even before that, what was that person taught? What was given to them as the truth about the world and about how things work? It's a really key time in somebody's life. They're gonna ask questions like, who is God? And why should I care? What is true about human nature? Does God have a purpose for me? And what is it? What is going to happen in the future? What is the meaning of death? Does anything follow death? These are these questions people are going to consider and look for answers to. And one of the places they're going to look is to the past to say, well, what was I told when I was a child? What answers was I given to these questions when I was a child? And my question tonight is, do our children have those answers? Do they have biblical answers to those questions? Because this, no matter what we do, those questions are going to arise. And can they answer them from scripture? Have we put those things into their lives to prepare them to answer those questions. That's the question that's on my heart that has helped lead to the change to Kids for Truth. Kids for Truth says this about their purpose. They say, we want boys and girls to know both what they believe and why they believe it. And they give four primary goals. Now, I want you to follow with me. These, some of these are a little bit wordy, but they're, they're rich, okay? 
So four primary goals for Kids for Truth. One, to effectively teach important truths about God to boys and girls through meaningful, motivational, and memorable learning experiences. So goal number one, teaching them boys and girls truths about God. Goal number two, define and refine the minimum standard of Christian knowledge that boys and girls ought to know in order to avoid confusion, discourage hypocrisy, and promote authentic faith. I like that phrase, we don't necessarily talk about the standard of Christian knowledge, but what do we expect our children to understand about about the truths of the Bible, about Christian doctrine? Where is that, that level? And they say, one of our goals is to raise that. They would say the standard of Christian knowledge is too low for our children. It needs to be higher. Goal number three, utilize a tried and true method. And this is talking about catechism. I'll talk about that in just a minute. By which we fortify young hearts and minds with doctrine. We'll revisit that and talk about catechism in a few minutes. And then goal number four, inspire and equip local churches, families, and individuals to become effective communicators of biblical truth to children. So there's a lot of purpose behind the way that this program is put together. That's one of the things I appreciate about it. And it's very systematic. It's split into 12 themes or topics. And those are, number one, God's word, the Bible. Number two, the greatness of God. Number three, the goodness of God. Number four, the Trinity. Number five, God's creation. Number six, God's view of you. Number seven, God's law. Number eight, Jesus Christ. Number nine, God's gift of salvation. Number 10, God's purpose for his children. Number 11, God's work past and present. And number 12, God's plan for the future. And so each of these 12 uh, themes consist of 10 lessons. So in all of this, there's 120 different lessons about God and about the way that God has made the world and about the work of God that these children are being taught. Now, I want to be clear, it's going to take us four years to get through all of those, okay? So don't expect that we're getting through all 12 themes Um, in in half a year or in a year. This is going to take four years to get through that uh, because we want to spend time with it. But these are the truths that they're going to be considering, that they're going to be challenged with from God's word. And at the heart of each of those 120 lessons is catechism. And this is something that at least in our circles makes this program unique. The practice of catechizing Christians, including children, goes back to the first century. So less than 100 years after Jesus Christ was off the earth, they had already started this practice of catechism as a way of teaching biblical truth. Though in many cases the practice has gone out of vogue, it has been a part of Orthodox Christianity for centuries. Uh, I am grateful. It seems that there's a return to this that is happening in many Christian circles. And I'm grateful for that. I think that's happening with good reason because I think that both 
the scriptural model and history tell us that this is a good and effective method. Now, if you might be saying, all right, sounds good, but you said catechism and you lost me there. What are you talking about? Well, perhaps some of you have heard of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It's one of those things that pastors will, will quote often. Specifically, question number one of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. And this will give you an idea of what a catechism is. Question one, what is the chief end of man? Answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is catechism. So the idea is if I was going to be catechizing you tonight, then I would teach you the question and then the answer. And then I would ask the question, what is the chief end of man? And I would expect you to answer in unison from memory, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's catechism, except it would involve memorization. Another well-known historical catechism, the Heidelberg Catechism, begins with this question. What is your only comfort in life and death? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs> now, I, I get excited just reading that. That is a, that is a powerful, truth-packed statement. But that's the idea of catechism, is that you could ask someone that question and they could give you that doctrinally rich of an answer. This is the sort of truth that needs to be filling all of our minds, certainly including our children. And that's the idea of catechism, and that's why Kids for Truth is bringing this in as really the cornerstone of their program. So with Kids for Truth, each week the young people are going to be learning the answer to a catechism question, which will be shaped to their age group. So there are four different age groups that are going to take the kids from four years old up through sixth grade. So the youngest class, the discoverers, that's four and five-year-olds. Uh, the developers, that's first and second graders. The detectives, third and fourth graders. And the defenders, fifth and sixth graders. And so each of them will have a question, like what I asked you, and they'll have an answer that they'll learn to that. Each of the classes is going to be learning about the same topic each week, but the answer will be shaped to their learning level. So, for example, the first week, the catechism question will be, what is the Bible? The answer for that youngest group is, the Bible is the only book that is God's word to us. That's a, that's a good answer, all right? But the answer for that oldest group is going to be, when asked what is the Bible, the answer they'll be learning is, the Bible is the only inspired written word of God above all other books in wisdom, power, and authority. And then they'll go on and also learn 1 Thessalonians 2.13. For this cause also, thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So that's what they're going to be learning. They're both learning the answer to the same question, but as they, as they go on at each level, there's richness and depth being added to the answer that they're learning to the question. 
So like I mentioned, it'll take us four years to get through each of the themes. But over that time, the kids will be memorizing the answer to 120 questions that will take them through a variety of biblical topics and give them a firm doctrinal foundation for life. Thus preparing them to answer those compelling questions about God, about themselves, about the world, about eternity. You might say, these subjects are too much for kids. Uh, Wait until they get into the youth group. Wait until they graduate. Uh, Doctrine is one of those things you get when you're older. The kids just, you know, learn the Bible stories. They they learn the simple stuff. You got to wait till later to start to dig into that deeper stuff. Without sounding dramatic, isn't that too late? Doesn't the foundation need to be laid first and then you can build the house? And I've shared this with, with different people here, but my burden is that if a young person came to Good News faithfully from the time when they were four years old up through sixth grade, that by the time they're going into the youth group, that you'd be able to sit them down and they'd be able to write you out a doctrinal statement. Now, it might not be worded just the way our Constitution is worded. It might not use all those fancy words, but it would be based on Scripture. And they could say, here's what I believe about God, and here's what I believe about the Bible, and here's what I believe about human nature. Here's what I believe about sin. Here's what I believe about Jesus. Here's what I believe about what what God's plan is for the future. And they would know those things and the biblical reason for believing those things and be able to, to, to share that. That's my burden. And I do not think that that's anywhere close to outside the realm of possibility. I think that ought to be the standard of Christian knowledge that we're expecting and we're striving for. And I'm excited about how this program will help us with that. But children need far more than familiarity with the plot of Bible stories. They need everlasting biblical truth that they can sink their teeth into. In Deuteronomy 31, Moses is 120 years old. He's led the people for about 40 years, and his life is about to end. He's getting ready to go up onto Mount Nebo, and uh, there's mystery surrounding exactly how his life ends. But his time as the leader is coming to an end, and he takes time in Deuteronomy 31 to pass the baton to the next leader, Joshua. And he also takes time to remind the people about what God has said. He goes so far as to write out a copy of all the law. And then he entrusts that copy of the law to the priests. And he gives them very specific instructions. Here's what he tells them in Deuteronomy 31, verse 9. It says, And Moses wrote this law, and delivered it unto the priests, the sons of Levi, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and unto all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, At the end of every seven years, in the solemnity of the year of release, in the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel is come to appear before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, thou shalt read this law before all Israel in their hearing. So he wants to make sure in a very special way, he says, this needs to go on the calendar. 
that every seven years you've got this special feast that you're doing, this special time that you're having together as a people, and I want you to take this law out and I want you to read the whole thing to the people. But he goes on and he says, gather the people together, men and women and children and thy stranger that is within thy gates, that they may hear and that they may learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this law. It's interesting to me that he points out the children there. He says, I want the children to be part of this, not just the men and the women. I want the visitors, the strangers, I want them there. I also want the children there. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, and that their children, which have not known anything, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as ye live in the land whither ye go over Jordan to possess it. So Moses says, I've taken the time to write down the law. Now, it'd be easy to, to argue this is probably the book of Deuteronomy itself. All right, he spent the time teaching the people the law over again in the book of Deuteronomy. And so he's taken the time to write it down. And he says, I want you to take out this book and I want you to read it to the people every seven years. Now, have you ever read the book of Deuteronomy? There's some good stuff in there. But it's not what we would tend to refer to as children's literature. So it's not going to be natural for you to just sit down and say, for story time, tonight we're going to read from the book of Deuteronomy. Now, like I said, I'm not trying to say there aren't wonderful truths there, but we, we would tend to think, you know, a lot of that's over their head. It's stuff they're not going to get. Let's just go to one of the familiar stories. But God said, no, I'm going to say this twice, and I'm going to put emphasis on it. The, ch the kids need to be there. When you read the law, I want the children to hear it. Those who do not know it, those children, they need to be there. They need to hear it so that they can learn to fear the Lord. Amen. When the Bible is being taught, when even those difficult truths are being shared, when the fine points of the law are being given out, I want the kids to be there. That's really interesting to me that God would take the time to pinpoint that. And I think that there's a lesson for us there. First of all, kids need to be under the sound of God's word. It's not something to wait till a certain age before people are, are hearing and, and gleaning from God's word. And you know, from a personal standpoint, I'm thankful for hundreds of messages growing up that I sat under and I understood very little of. I'm glad that I was there. Because so many of those things, there were seeds planted that I knew nothing about at the time. And it's taken years, even decades, for me to understand what God was planting in my life back then. So that's part of it. Certainly, the kids need to be under the sound of God's word. But also, don't undersell kids' ability to understand God's word. Yes. And I'm glad to know that you're with me tonight. Um, I can really get up on my soapbox about this sometimes, and I'm not going to try not to do that tonight. Um, but kids understand a whole lot more than we give them credit for. 
Kids have a capacity to understand a great deal about God, about his word, about the reality of, of how God has put things together. And so rather than saying, let's put everything on the bottom shelf, let's say, nope, let's raise that bar a little bit. Let's push their understanding. Let's push them to learn more. Uh, personally, I like to try to teach what I think is right over their heads. I'm not, I'm not using a bunch of fancy theological words. I don't think that tends to help adults either. But I try to teach over their heads a little bit. And some of them, by God's grace, can reach up and grasp those truths. And the other ones, I just trust that God is allowing those seeds to be planted. That years down the road, those things are gonna grow and those, that's gonna, what's going to help them lay that foundation of biblical truth. Take a look with me, if you would, at Exodus chapter 12. The Israelites had spent centuries as slaves in Egypt. And again and again, they'd cried out to God for his deliverance. And God heard them. And God answered their prayer. He sent Moses to lead them out of, out of captivity, out of slavery. And we know the story. Uh, Pharaoh, of course, had a hard heart. And God sent 10 plagues. It's interesting because he had several purposes behind those plagues. We think about how it broke uh, Pharaoh's will. But God was also using all of that to teach the people of Israel about himself, to teach the people of Egypt about himself about his power, about his control over all things. But God did all of that, and it took that 10th plague to finally break Pharaoh's will and for him to be willing to let the people of Israel go. But again, we probably, probably all of you tonight know the story. So God said, I'm gonna send an angel through the land to kill all the firstborn. And he told the people of, of Israel that I've got a special plan for you so that you won't be a part of this killing. Uh, and he gave them all of these instructions for this special Passover feast. Specifically, they were to kill this lamb and they were to use that blood and put it on the doorpost. And that would be the sign that the angel would know this family is with God. And he, the angel would pass over and not kill the firstborn. But God gave them detailed instructions about this, this feast, and it's still a cornerstone of Jewish society even to this day, the Passover feast. But in Exodus 12, uh, there, there have been 20 verses of explanation about the specifics of what they're supposed to be doing with the Passover. And in verse 21, it says, Then God... Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin and none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in onto your houses to smite you. So we kind of, uh, God has given um, this, this word to Moses and Aaron, and here's kind of the condensed version of them sharing it with the people. 
Then he says, and ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. So he says, this is not something that's going to happen one time. This is something you're going to continue to do year by year. It's going to become a part of your identity, a part of your culture. And it shall come to pass when ye become to the land which the Lord will give you according as he hath promised that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, what mean ye by this service? That ye shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses and the people bowed the head and worshiped. So you have in these verses, Moses is the spiritual leader of Israel sharing the instructions from God. He's sharing, God has said this, I'm telling you what God has said. I'm giving you specific instructions about how to obey what God has given you to do. As the spiritual leader, he is passing this along to the people. But then something happens, God knows it's going to happen, and he gives instruction about it. Anyone who knows anything about children knows what's going to happen when you start doing things differently, when you start eating differently, when you start these, these special ceremonial things that go along with this meal, when you start putting blood up on the doorway. These are not normal things. And what are the kids going to do? They're going to ask why. God said it's going to happen. Here's what you need to do when they ask why. And he instructs the parents about how they ought to speak to their children about this, what they ought to say to explain why we're doing things differently and to bring everyone's attention back to what the Lord has done. But it's really interesting to me looking at this passage, I think it's so instructive for us to think about both the role of the assembly and the role of the family in the instruction of children. So Moses is the spiritual leader is saying, here's what God has said. Here's how you need to obey what God has said. He's sharing that with the people. But his is not the responsibility for all of the spiritual leadership that's gonna be going on. God is saying some of that responsibility is also resting on the shoulders of the parents. Parents, when this happens and your kids start asking questions, don't bring your kids to Moses I've given you the responsibility to talk to them about what's going on, to explain to them what I have done, what we're celebrating together. You know, it's interesting as we look through scripture, and I'll be done in just a minute. Children in the Old Testament are part of the gatherings when the people are hearing God's word. Um, I'd point you to Nehemiah 8 through 10. We won't spend any time there but that's a specific place you can go to to see that. It, uh, this crossed my mind for the first time just the other day. In Paul's epistles, he addresses the children directly about their responsibilities. And so the kids were supposed to be part of when those, those letters were read. When he says, children, obey your parents. The kids were part of that congregation. And he's sharing this truth and they hear the word children, their eyes are going to perk up. What's going on? What's he going to say? They are included in the spiritual instruction. But despite the fact that children are to be a part of the church, they're to be learning God's word 
uh, as well as the adults, the ultimate responsibility for their instruction and discipleship rests squarely on the shoulders of their parents. It is parents who are called upon to explain to their children, to teach them, to talk to them about biblical truths throughout their life together as a family. Think of Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7. And as a parent, I feel the burden of that responsibility. And I must take that and run to the Lord for grace and help. I'm happy that we at Good News are working to invest in the lives of children. But I want to be crystal clear. I'm excited about this Wednesday night program. But neither that ministry nor any of the ministries of this church can assume responsibility for the spiritual instruction and well-being of your children. Everything we do here ought to be, and I desire it to be, a supplement to what you as parents are doing with them at home. And my desire is that in the way that this program is done, in the way that everything we do with the kids is done, is that we're doing all that we can to help you as parents, to give you tools, to come alongside you, to support you in what you're seeking to do to teach and train and, and raise your children. And on a practical note, I want to work harder at that with Kids for Truth. I plan to communicate with you by email weekly. I plan to meet with you on a, on a, 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 a um, the word's escaping me, periodic. I want to have periodic meetings with you to talk about what we're learning, what we're doing together, and see what I can do to help you as parents. Because the best that we can be as a church is a support and a help. I'm grateful that we have an opportunity sometimes to have a part in the lives of those who are not part of Christian homes. They're not getting that instruction and that help. But God's plan, God's intent is that you as parents are at the heart of that. And we as a church are just coming alongside to do everything we can to encourage and to help. With that said, I want you to help me to be a help to you. The ways that I can best support what you're seeking to do for God's glory, let me know. But I trust that as we work together and as God superintends, that we can see strong foundations laid in the lives of these young people. We all know what can happen when a building doesn't have a proper foundation. Sometimes the results can be comical. At other times, they're downright catastrophic. We all know the leaning tower of Pisa, and we can see the beauty of the architecture, the work that went into building that building. But because the foundation didn't get laid the right way, because the, the ground that it was laid on was not proper for that building, it can never serve its purpose in the right way. No building that has an improper foundation can ever serve its true purpose. And in a much more significant way, the same is true about our children. If the right foundation is not laid, they cannot serve the purpose that God has for them in the way that he desires. And so I trust that this will be your heartbeat. You as parents... You also, who are not parents, who have an opportunity to be a part 
of what we're doing to invest in children's lives. That this is what we would desire. And by God's grace, I hope that this new Wednesday night program will be able to serve a part in reaching that goal for God's glory. Let's pray. Our Father, I thank you so much for the depth of the riches of your word. Uh, Inexhaustible. Father, we think of 120 lessons, and it sounds like a lot. Lord, that only scratches the surface of the, the riches of what you've given us in your word. Give us all, I ask, a passion to better know the truth about who you are and how you've made the world and how you've fashioned us and how life works your way. And Lord, give us a passion to share those truths with the young people that we have an opportunity to influence here. Give your grace to the parents who are here tonight. Father, it is an overwhelming task, but your grace is more than sufficient. And I ask that you would uh, use them, work through them. Use this new program, I ask. Thank you for those who've already been working so hard to prepare, so many faithful workers who are, are passionate about these things and are excited to share these truths. Would you use this program for your glory and only for your glory, we ask in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.